Well, good morning again, and uh, thank you, Samantha. What a great way to summarize uh, an awesome ministry that you guys get a chance to be a part of when you give a portion of what you give go into ministries like Samantha's, uh, like the <laughs> Natalie's sisters, and, uh, and provides for them. But what a great perspective to know that we're working hand-in-hand with our public servants uh, to meet the needs with compassion and, uh, and help, and, uh, and hopefully to help them move on from, uh, from this lifestyle. Well, guys, I'm loving spring. How about you? Even though it's a little bit uh, rainy, man, this is awesome. Uh, all that's going on, and uh, it's so, so good. I got to tell you, I, I just, um, pretty cool. My neighbor called me up. I got a couple of cows. She said, you're having a baby calf born this morning, like an, half an hour ago. So I got a baby calf that just came down. So I think that's kind of cool. That's why I love spring. You know, it's a great thing. I know, it's just, it's a redneck thing, I guess, but <laughs> it's kind of cool. All right, but do you know the great thing about Easter, uh, about the spring is Easter. That's the biggest thing that comes about it, right? And uh, so uh, next, uh, next Sunday is Easter. It's kind of slipped up on. It's a little bit later this year than normal, uh, but uh, it's going to have a great Sunday next week. And I hope that you'll be here. I know sometimes people travel and, and different things, but uh, if you're in town, please plan on being here. Make it a point and invite somebody to come with you. Uh, because that is uh, one Sunday of the year that people are most all, all open to come. And if you invite them, a very good percentage that they, act, a percentage that they would actually come and worship with us. And uh, so we're going to be talking about, obviously, Jesus, his resurrection, and what that means for our lives next week. So it'll be a great time to, to bring someone that you care. We've been for a few weeks now in a series on the book of John. Tony did an awesome job last week. We watched it on Facebook Live, uh, seeing what he talked about the Holy Spirit, a comforter and counselor. Uh, that was great. Today we're going to take the next uh, step in this uh, uh, in this book, and we're uh, almost near the end. In fact, next Sunday uh, morning, we're going to finish up this series. But today, we're in John chapter 17. And we've been looking at Jesus. We've seen who Jesus is by looking at his miracles, by conversations, by events in Jesus' life, and also Jesus' own words. And through this, we've discovered not just what Jesus did and said, but more importantly, who Jesus really is, and becoming aware of that. And hopefully, that awareness would move us to make a decision for Jesus to accept him as our Lord. Because you know, the reality is that we only decide and understand things by our acceptance of them and our awareness of them. So I thought, you know, since awareness is so important, I'm going to give you guys an awareness test because I I don't know how aware you are of what's going on in the world around you, all right? So I'm going to give you an awareness test. It's a little short video. It's pretty self-explanatory, but here's, here's my only hint is keep your eye on the ball, okay? Keep your eye on the ball. So will you run that video up there, that awareness test? This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? Got a glitch. But anyway, freeze it right there. In the the middle of the screen, there is a moonwalking bear that walks through the video. How many of you saw that bear? Some of you did see it. Oh, you guys are alert. You're alert. 
I have to admit, I didn't see that. I, I was, you know what? I was watching the ball. But in the middle of that, there was a bear, a guy in a bear suit who was moonwalking through the scene. And most of us missed that. And most of us would because, you know, we weren't looking for that, uh, right? We weren't looking for that kind of picture. You know, we sometimes can get so caught up in the moment. We can get caught up, and I apologize about that freeze. I, it really was better if you could have seen the whole thing, all right? But uh, sometimes we get so caught up in the moment, what we're looking at, what we're focused on. And for us as, as human beings, i got to be honest, it's the moment. It's the moment that, we in, that we're in. We don't think about the eternity. We don't think about anything beyond today. And that's where our focus is. And because of that, we can miss the big picture, what's really more significant. You know, the Bible tells us that even though we live on the, the physical plane, that there is a spiritual plane that we're not aware of. And more importantly, that there is a spiritual battle that's going on in, the, in that plane all around us that we don't see. It's amazing. Ephesians chapter 6 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I mean, that just elevates the picture to a whole other level, level doesn't it? To say that it's not so much about the moment that we're in right now, but more importantly, there is a spiritual level that we don't sense and we don't, we don't know about all the time. And that God is a lot more concerned about the spiritual plane of our life than he is about the, the physical plane. He's a lot more concerned about what's going on uh, spiritually than, than in our current situations. And since our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but a spiritual one, that's how we have to fight it. That's how we have to fight the battle. Now, God has not left us uh, unarmed, however. There is a spiritual weapon that we have, and that weapon is prayer. Prayer is what God has given to us. But you know what? We vastly underestimate the value and the power of prayer. And so today we're going to talk about that. We're in John chapter 17, where Jesus is in the garden praying right before his arrest, where he would be taken and he would ultimately be put to death. And he is aware of the moment that's coming. He's not just worried about the moment he's in, but, but about the moment that's to come. But more importantly, not just the physical side of that, but the, the suffering he's going to have spiritually, the separation from God. Yes, he's thinking about the arrest. He's thinking about the trial, the mockery, and ultimately the crucifixion that was to come. But you know, the amazing thing is what Jesus was thinking about was not what came to him, but instead he was thinking of us. That it is most crucial hour of his life. And this is so humbling to think that when, when Jesus' world was about to fall down around him, that he was not worried about himself. He wasn't specifically and primarily praying for himself. He was praying for you and I. He was praying for us, and he could see down through history, down through time to the day, to us sitting in this room, because he again was God, and he understood that. And he prayed for his followers. So in, in many ways, his prayer was for you if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is aware and was aware of our greatest needs. And so his prayer was directed and focused on the greatest needs that we have. So I think it's kind of fascinating for us to ask the question, what were the things that Jesus prayed about for us? What were the things he knew that we would need the most? What were the areas that he focused on in his personal prayer to God for us? Because we ought to be praying about the same things. I think we need to recognize that Jesus had a focus, he had priorities for us, and we ought to pray about those things. So let's look at some of those things this morning. The first thing that Jesus prayed about was for our protection. He prayed for our protection. 
in John 17, I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was in them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one destined or doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. That was Judas, by the way. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now, parents, we understand that, right? We understand about praying for those we love. We pray for our children. I hope that you're praying for your kids every day. And, you know, we understand that our kids are living in a dangerous world in many different ways. Uh, not only, you know, uh, of their values, but also physically, right? We want them to be protected from illness. We do everything we can to protect them in that way. We want to protect them from being hurt by accidents, by somebody. We want to protect them when they start driving. Oh, my goodness. When your child starts driving, your prayer life increases dramatically, doesn't it? And you start worrying about your kids, that God, please protect them, protect everybody else from them, you know. We think about physical protection for our kids. We don't want our kids to be hurt because we love them and we care about that aspect. But you know what? Jesus has the same concern for us. However, he's not praying for physical protection because we know that down through time, God's people have suffered, haven't they? They've been allowed to suffer and, and through uh, persecution, even martyrdom. But he prays for spiritual protection. It's the most important thing. Because he's aware of the spiritual battle much more than we are. In fact, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Unfortunately, there are people who are set out to hurt people today. Evil people who will hurt others in different ways. And we had an example uh, this morning of uh, sexual, uh, tra sex trafficking, sexual abuse. People are evil, and they will hurt in that way. But Jesus said, don't be as concerned about them because they can only kill the body. Be concerned about the one who can destroy the soul. Now, obviously, we don't want anybody to suffer any of that, but our greatest concern ought to be about spiritual danger and not just physical. You know, we fear all the things that we understand and know about, don't we? We fear bad people who might hurt our, us or our children. We fear disease and accidents and bad decisions. But in many ways, these things are insignificant compared to the spiritual dangers that many times that we're often unaware of, that we don't even recognize. And let me tell you one person that all of us should be afraid of, ourselves. We ought to be concerned about ourselves because I need to be protected from myself. Here's the truth about me and probably about all of us, the best of us. My spiritual commitments, my spiritual loyalties, my spiritual obedience hangs by a thread. It hangs by a thread. And I would like to think I'm a pretty good person, and I've been at this a while, but even mine, I would tell you it hangs by a thread, right? Every day I'm tempted to do something that could destroy my, te my testimony, my credibility, my faith, and maybe even my eternity with Jesus Christ. I'm tempted every day. And you are too. And if you don't realize that, then you're very vulnerable. Well, all of us are tempted every day, every moment of our lives. And left to myself, I will give in. I will do that because I'm, the, I'm just a human being. I need God's help. I need God's presence. And I need God's protection. 
And you know what? If, if it weren't enough that I'm my own worst enemy, I have an enemy who's worse than that. And that is the evil one that is Satan. Satan, known by different, many different names in the Bible, kind of describe what he's all about. He is Lucifer, the devil, the prince of darkness, deceiver, tempter, liar, destroyer. You name the, everything that, that you could imagine that would be destructive in your life is used to define Satan. In fact, the Bible says that he is like a roaring lion that is stalking and seeking and ready to destroy you at every moment. Don't ever be deceived and think that Satan is your friend or is harmless. You see, he's a fallen angel who was a great leader among the angels. And before creation, the Bible tells us that Satan led a rebellion against God and led one-third of the heavenly forces with him in rebellion against God. And now he stands cast out of heaven, but he stands ready to tempt and destroy and deceive anyone who does not take him seriously. But the sad thing is that our world doesn't take him seriously. When Satan is presented in the world, he is most likely laughed at and joked about, but he is no joke. I mean, he is a destroyer, and God understands that. He knows how truly destructive that he is. And that's why Jesus prayed that we would be protected from Satan, because he will use any way possible to steal your interest in Christ. He will steal any, any spiritual momentum that you may have in your life, any faith you may be developing. He will use any tool uh, possible to minimize the importance of your faith. He will distract you with anything he can, even a good thing. He will offend you. He will give you an excuse to back away from following Jesus. He will derail you, discourage you. And so if you've ever been tempted in any way, if you've ever sometimes wonder if it's all worth it, this Christian life you're called to live, if you ever get distracted by, by other things in life, if you ever get your feelings hurt in the church, isn't it hard to forgive someone who hurts your feelings in the church? More, more difficult than work or anywhere else. If any of those things have ever happened, then that's Satan at work. And you know what? We are the most vulnerable when we think that we cannot fall. And we are the most vulnerable in the areas that we think we are the strongest in. Have you ever noticed that? That many times in our life we have a weakness and, and that's exploited because we think we can't be uh, tempted in that way. Let me tell you about a story about a man. I've kind of tracked this guy through the years. But several years ago, a man by the name of Gordon McDonald was a minister at a megachurch. Even before megachurch were, were all that common. He was a pastor of a megachurch. He was a great speaker. And then he became president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which was a large Christian organization. He traveled all over the world. He wrote books. He spoke all over the place. And one day he was interviewed, and McDonald was asked by the interviewer, if Satan were to attack you, in what area would it be in? And in humility, and I believe this, in humility, he said, you know, there are many ways, but the one way he would not attack me and be successful is in my personal relationships. Because that is the one place where I am as strong as you can get. I don't even have to tell you what happened next, do I? A very short time after this, Gordon McDonald fell morally. He had an affair. He destroyed his world in the one place where he thought he was safe. He might have thought he was vulnerable with money, with anger, with jealousy, any number of things. But he thought he was strong morally. And that's where Satan destroyed his life. And it's taken a long time for it to be built back. I want to tell you, there's no sin that I'm not capable of. 
There's no area where Satan can't get to me if I let him. And every one of us need to understand that very, very clear. And so there's no area that I don't need protection in. And we need to be praying the blood of Jesus over our lives and the lives of our children and the people around us and our church leaders because Satan is out to destroy any good thing. And that's why Jesus prayed for your protection from the evil one. Does he care about your life? He, he does. Does he care about your personal safety and security and your children? He does. He does. But more importantly is the one who can steal and destroy the body and the soul rather than the one who can just hurt the physical body. So he prayed for our protection. Secondly, Jesus prayed for us to be set apart. To be set apart. In John chapter 17 again, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. There's a lot of sanctifying in those verses like three times. But what does the word sanctify mean? I don't use that word every day. Perhaps I should use it more. But it really means to, to make something holy, someone holy, or to set them apart for them to be separate for a special purpose. You know, the sad thing in our world today is that many times as Christians, we don't want to be separate. We actually want to blend in. And we want to, you know, not be different. But the Bible says that we are called to be different. In fact, in one place it says that we're called to be a peculiar people, which is not necessarily what I want to be thought of. Not a compliment in our world. It's peculiar. Uh, I wouldn't call that a compliment. But we really are to be different. We are to be separate from the rest of the world. We're called out of that. And that's what it means for us to be sanctified. And that means that God has a special purpose or mission for your life, that you are unique and special. And God has gifted you in some way that we are to seek and to find. And that way primarily is that in the process of us being made holy. He prayed that we would be set apart by the truth. So part of it, truth is found in God's word. So here's what we have to understand is that the Bible is the word of God it is the source of all truth. There is no truth without the Word of God. That means that we embrace the whole Bible as truth, and we let, uh, even when the Bible runs contrary to our society, especially when it runs contrary to society, and to our own opinions and our own experience. And here's the thing I've discovered today, and this is true among a lot of people who would claim to be a Christian. They would say this, that they allow the truth to be trumped by their experience. The truth is overcome by their experience. They say, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but, and that's a road you don't ever want to travel because you're already going in the wrong direction. Your experience, your knowledge, your observation is not more valuable or truth than the Word of God. We say something like, I know the Bible says that, that this is wrong, but I know somebody who does this. He's a really good person, so it can't be a sin. Our experience cannot trump the truth of God's Word. We have to embrace the whole Bible and read it and let it sink in to transform us. Another problem we have is that we don't know the Bible because we don't read the Bible today. It's the most owned book in the world and probably you know, least led, percentage-wise, uh, read because we just don't read the Bible like we should. But let me tell you what the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me ask you, how much of the Bible is true? How much of the Bible is God-inspired? All of it. All of it is. 
And in a world that's trying to get away from that because they want to cater and create, you know, uh, a, a safe place for themselves, we can't do that. All Scripture is inspired for what? For teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God will be thoroughly equipped. So God, Jesus is praying here that the word, the truth of God's word, would be taken into the hearts of people and it would make us holy. It would sanctify us. We are set apart by the truth of God's word because only the whole truth of God's word can truly transform us and make us holy or sanctified. And that was Jesus' prayer. The third thing Jesus prayed for was for our unity, for our unity, that we as a community of believers would be one. Man, we have blown, blown that, haven't we? I mean, how many hundreds or even thousands of denominations are all over the world? How much brokenness is there among Christians today? But we are called to be one. John chapter 17, once again, Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Guys, this is us. For those who will believe, this is us today. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you have given me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. And then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, Jesus is calling us here into unity He's calling us into community as well. You know, we believe as a church that community is so important that we need other people to do life with and not just a, a few, an hour or two on Sunday morning. You know, we have what we call journey groups. We have all sorts of groups in our church. Some of them are serving groups. Some are Sunday morning groups. We have groups meeting right now. Uh, we, we have groups that meet throughout the week. But I hear something that we're going to be doing, and, and I want to challenge you to this. Uh, a few moments ago, Dan was talking about, I love my church. And he was talking about the importance of, uh, uh, of loving the church. Why? Because Jesus loved the church. That's why we ought to love the church. If it was enough for him to love, then, then we're, we're good enough to love it too. So we ought to love the church. And so for five weeks, we're going to be talking about loving our church and how we show our love to one another. And one of the things that I'm asking everyone to do is to be involved in a five-week-long journey group. I know your life is busy. You need to add something to it, right? Uh, probably not. But, but you know what? Whatever is important to us, we can always fit into our life. And so we're asking, beginning the week of the 28th of April, that will last for five weeks only, we're asking everyone in the church to be involved in a journey group, even if you've never done it before. Even if you've done it and it, was, it wasn't the best experience, we're asking you to give it a shot, all right? And we're asking you to sign up to do that. We'll tell you more about it, but we do have sign-ups today out in the lobby, there's a table that you can sign up. We'll figure out the logistics. I know nights are horrible and difficult, but we'll figure that out for you. But just commit. Say, you know what, I'm going to do this. Why? Because community was important to Jesus. And he prayed for community of his church. So we've got to find a place in our, our life, and a time in our life that we can do that. So I would encourage you to sign up. Again, we'll talk about it more. Uh, but if you would do that today, it would be awesome. Jesus prayed that we would have community, that there would be a community of believers who love and lean upon one another. It's interesting that Jesus' last prayer was for unity for us. Now, a lot of us, we don't understand what unity is. We think that unity means uniformity, that everybody looks the same and sounds the same, and we say, well, I'm different and unique, and all of us are, right? It doesn't mean that we're all uniform. It doesn't mean that we all agree on everything. 
By unity, it means that we have a oneness of heart, that we have a relational unity. It means that we do our best to be kind and gracious and forgiving and working through conflict, that we avoid slander and gossip about one another. That is what creates the spirit of unity. Now, why is unity so important? Well, obviously, God wants there to be peace in his family. I mean, who doesn't want that? But, you know, even more important than that is what Jesus said in the verse I just read. The real reason is that there would be this unity, this love that would identify his people, and that would be what would confirm that he truly was from the Father. So, in other words, our unity level either tells the world that Jesus is legit and that he's worth listening to and could change their lives, or it tells them that this whole Christianity thing is a farce. It's just something we do that we don't really mean because we don't live it out. Jesus said they will know they are Christians by their love and the unity that we have for one another. You know, we've all heard it said that we may be the only Jesus that people will ever meet. The only Jesus in person that people ever meet. If that is true, what kind of Jesus are people seeing in you? What kind of Jesus are you displaying to the people that you come in, in, into relationship every day? Is it a real depiction of who Jesus is, or is it a farce? Is it a false picture of Jesus, and that would be a travesty? You know what? Unity is the only thing that God creates, uh, can create, but which we are required to keep. God created it. We can't even do that, but God creates unity when he brings people into his family. And then it's our job to keep it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Most of us would have to admit that we don't make every effort to keep the unity that God has given to us. One of the top reasons that people say they don't go to church is that churches have too many problems. And if that really is the picture that we're presenting to our world, it's no wonder people are unchurched. All of us have a responsibility to make every effort to keep unity that God's given to us, to not go out and criticize and talk badly about the church. Is the church perfect? Goodness, no, it isn't. I, 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 there's no such thing as a perfect church. We'd spoil it the moment we walked in the door because we're imperfect. There is no perfect church. But I want to tell you, the church is the body of Christ, and it's our responsibility to keep it pure, to keep it clean, and to keep it in well, good reputation with people in the community. It's damaging to the cause of Christ if people go out and talk about the church or criticize. It just gives them a reason not to go to church and not to follow Jesus. We need to guard our hearts and guard our tongues so that we're not guilty of slandering the body of Christ, the cause of Christ. You know, I'm really uh, proud to say that Journey Church is a unified church. We have a lot of unity within our church family, our staff, our elders, our deacons, you know, our, our church body. We, we have a lot of unity here. We didn't create that. God did. That, that's a gift to us. But we want to protect that unity. And we ask every one of you to help us do that. If there are issues or concerns or questions, the Bible tells us how to resolve those things. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, it starts with going to the person and working it out. And if you agree to disagree, that may be where you end up. But we want to work hard to believe the best about each other and not assume the worst about each other, which is what many times we do. We assume and our assumptions just carry us uh, far away from valuing one another. We want to avoid talking critically about other people and start talking positively to other people and forgiving and loving one another. That's what Jesus prayed for. And if it was good enough for Jesus to pray about, it's good enough for us to practice. 
to discipline ourselves to be obedient to what Jesus is called to be. You know, we have four kids, and when our kids were younger, they would oftentimes squabble among themselves. I know that shocks you because preacher kids are supposed to be perfect, right? But our kids quarreled with one another, and it was difficult to hear them. You know, you kind of go through you when, you when you hear that because we always want our kids to get along. But you know what? Now that our kids are grown and married, they're grace friends. They are. They talk to each other and text each other almost every day, and they leave us out of the circle. You know, they, we, have a, we have a text um, group called Nation Fam, I think. Somebody named it there. And, and that's how we share with everyone because we've got kids in other states and other countries. Um, but sometimes they talk among themselves, and they, they leave us out. We'll find that they've been talking about us behind our backs. But you know what? When they're getting along, everything, we love that. We love it. And when we get together, there's peace and harmony and joy and laughter. It doesn't happen real often. All of us get together. But we'd love to see that. And you know what? That God, that's what God wants for his family. He wants unity. Not uniformity or agreement on everything, but to have a oneness of heart that allows and gives grace to other people, to give one another. And a love that the whole world, the lost world, will envy, and they will want to know how it can be. That's why Jesus prayed for unity, so that other people would be attracted and longing to have some of that for themselves. And you know what? If we're not healthy as a church, then the world will not only pass us by, but it will, give, it will pass the message of Jesus by as well. And we will be a false Jesus that we present to people. So this morning, I'll just ask you, are you on the side of building up community or are you on the side of tearing it down? And each of us have to discipline ourselves to make sure that we don't do that. Are you doing your best to create and maintain unity and truth with other believers? If so, then you are the answer to Jesus' prayer. Can you think of anything that would be more blessed than to be the answer to Jesus' prayer? I want to tell you, I want to, be that, I want to be that kind of person. But if you're not living that way, then maybe it's time to be honest about some changes in your heart. Again, it's so humbling for me to think about that when Jesus was nearing the, the end of his life, the time of greatest physical and spiritual agony, that he was not thinking about himself. He was thinking about me and you and every believer, and he was praying for us. And what did he pray for us about? He prayed for your protection, that the evil one would not snatch you away. He prayed that you would be sanctified or made holy or set apart for his purposes. And he prayed that we would all be one in Christ. And if these are the things that mattered most to him, then I think... They should matter most to us, and they should be a big part of our personal prayer life. And I want to invite you, we, every uh, first and third Saturday, we spend some time corporately in praying. There's not a huge group of us, but we don't want to be discouraged because it doesn't take a huge group to, prayer, to pray. But every Saturday morning, every other first and third Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock, we meet for prayer. And it's just a time of, of honesty and sharing, and it's a beautiful time. It always kind of energizes me for the day. It's one hour. And then we're on to our lives. But I would like to encourage you to come and share with us in that and pray that God's will might be done. And if you know that his will is not currently being done in your life because the will of Christ, the desire of Christ, is that everyone would come and give their lives to him and be saved. And if that has not happened in your life, then that's your number one priority, to join the body, the family of God. And I would love to have a conversation with you about that. 
In a few moments in our communion time, I'm going to be off to one side, and Tony and one of our associates is going to be off to the other. And we just ask you to come. If you need to talk, you need someone to pray with you about anything, we would be glad to do that during that time. Meanwhile, the rest of us are going to be focused on the real reason for our existence as believers, and that is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. As we come to our time of communion, we have the tables that are located at the front, and they're open, and the invitation is given from Christ for us to come and commune and remember what he has done for us. And so our habit is to come forward uh, during a quiet music time, to share in the emblems, and, uh, and then return back to your seat. If you don't want to come forward, we have our deacons will be at the back, and they'll They'll serve you with trays back there. Just raise your hand up, and they'll be glad to do that for us. But for all of us, it's a way for us to respond to the love that Christ has given to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, our hearts are humbled as we think about what you were thinking of, Lord. God, we, we are broken because we, we know that we were on your mind when the burden of suffering was heavy. You thought of us. And Lord... Uh, we're about to just recognize that by sharing in these emblems, the, the bread and the cup, that remind us and represent and symbolize the body and blood of Jesus that was broken for us. Lord, as we commune, as we respond, as we get up out of our seats and come forward, our response to your gift to us, Lord, I pray that it will be full of worship. God, I pray that our hearts would be turned to you and that, God, we will celebrate, even though it, it took agony for you, that we will celebrate your love for us that it drove Jesus to give his life. And because of that, God, we can have new life in Christ. Lord, I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.